information they're looking for, they win. Ignore them, you win. Welcome, everybody, to the Creative Community Podcast, where we discuss the intersection between the arts and Israel. I am Ari Engel, the director of Creative Community for Peace. And today's guest on the pod is a hip hop artist and activist who has collaborated with artists like Matis Yahoo, C. Ray's Walls, Murs, and many others. He is your favorite rapper's favorite Jewish rapper. We are excited to welcome Kosha Dills to the Creative Community Podcast today. I would say, uh, how you doing? But in these days of Corona, how you coping? Um, wow, I never had that. How are you coping? Um, I'm exercising a lot. I'm like running. I'm becoming a runner in Corona. Really? I mean, mm-hmm. you're all over the place, by the way. I think most people in Corona are locked down and you're, A, you were in Israel, then you were in LA, then you're in Austin. Now, where, where are you right now? New York. <laughs> <laughs> so when they say stay at home, you're like, what you're, what you're thinking? Um... You know, it's so weird. I always was in one place and I'm realizing it's like a pattern. I was like, oh, it's a great opportunity now to go to New York because everyone's leaving. So I don't, I don't know why I thought and, you know, I'm in New York right now. But um, I'm coping by, like I said, exercising a lot, exercising my mind, my, my, my writing and, um, you know, commenting on the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I can, you know, whenever they blame the Jews, um, I always try to give my two cents. And, you know, um, I've actually had a really su- oddly successful time in my music career in, in coronavirus times. So it's been interesting to look at it from that perspective. Been a really growing time. And, um, you know, just, just trying to cope, I guess, by, you know, holding my head above and keep creating, you know. I guess it's like there's more... It's, there's so much more inspiration right now between the social justice issues, the coronavirus, the elections, anti-Semitism, like the world kind of going crazy, America going crazy. So are, have you been, I mean, you said you're writing a lot. Have you been recording? It seems like a good time to be recording, not necessarily maybe releasing music, but recording music, right? When you're an independent artist, releasing music really doesn't have any, doesn't even matter. Right. People think lots of things matter, like... I should wait this time or that time. It really, no one's that important, to be honest. Um, I would would go to argue that even at major labels. The only thing is more important is that they've invested a specific amount of money, so it does have to be more than perfect. But now, um, when people are, I'm, I do have my quarrels with like making music for social justice when you, that's not your steez. Like, like, I think it's great that people are doing it, but, for me, like, I'm really interested in writing about relationships and, and the, you know. Just, just doing your normal thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's interesting because you got, I guess that's right. Some major label artists really stuff didn't even care, like The Weeknd and some other people like that in Dua Lipa. And then others held it back. But I, now I'm seeing even those artists that held it back, it's like this thing's not going away for a long time. So why hold anything back, right? It's, there's, I don't think there's going to be an opportune time in the near future, anyhow. Yeah, there's always going to be something else that comes up that says, I shouldn't release it out of respect for this, or I shouldn't release it out of respect for that. And I think, you know, for me, I think, you know, you continue to make music, you 
you release stuff. Um, if you feel the, the need to be like a giving and emotionally considerate person, let's, you know, take some of your earnings and give it to charity or something, something like that. But I don't think you should like withhold what you're, what you're doing because of what's happening in the world. Because every time you turn on the news, there's something else happening, you know, whether it's, you know, like Beirut the other day and, it's, you know, George Floyd and every boom, boom, like there's, it's going to be like this for a long time. So for me, it's good to know that like, I don't have to prove to anybody else of why I should release or why I shouldn't release. Like I know who I am on the inside. So I'm going to go try to, you know, move forward with my releases. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess some artists doing it because they can't tour behind it, but I as an independent artist, Especially in hip hop, it's it's not really the same sort of thing. I mean, you can release and it gets picked up, and uh, you know it's all about Spotify streams and getting it into social media platforms and getting people to notice. So it's not necessarily you're you're not relying just on your touring essentially to sell the music. I certainly am relying on touring, and it's really sad that there's no touring. Um, but it's really helpful to me to shift and learn how to adapt into a new world that is restricting that i mean i have phone calls with booking agents and and bookers and you know every other two months there's going to be another group of people it's actually a really great time for artists my size that are in the middle and not the biggest artists you know for for big artists like let's say jennifer lopez or you know or let's say a step down like let's just say you know freddie gibbs or somebody like that yeah. you know maybe there go tour a whole summer if you're making $25,000 a show, you're right. I mean, you're not going to buy a house <laughs> yeah. from your summer. So you have to wait. But the fact is you're capable of earning that much per live performance, which is the cool thing for artists like my size, maybe that I make between anywhere between 500 to 2000 an engagement. You're now learning like, okay, well, how can I shift this to online sales? How can I shift my 500 to 1,000 merchandise sales? I need to focus on online stuff anyway, so can yeah. I do all little releases and stuff and really own in on that and, and kind of learn how to adapt to what's going to be new? Because if you're getting 50 to 100 people at a show, I'll be performing before people that perform at 1,000 people. You know? Because right. exactly, because your costs of putting on a show are much less and your ask is much less. But man, I mean, exactly as you're saying, that's still... 500 to 2000 a show is a big hit when you can't be out there. Yeah, I had I had a 25 city tour that I worked on for a month. I mean, it was over 25. And that was the first of three. I mean, we had a whole thing set up and then it got taken away. But I mean, there's other things that there's gonna be other opportunities that come in. And now there's like, you know, private engagements. And yeah, you have to learn how to adapt. You know, it's like, a, like a country that, you know, goes through a crisis and then they have to, you know, ask for help in certain areas and take from this, you know, department and move it into this, you know, situation. These yeah. are, you know, this is the life, this is the life that artists are, but it's our, it's our decision to do this. You know, it's no one else's. I mean, it's tough, but it's still, still, we're still figuring it out. Right. And then you decided to go to South by Southwest, even though it was canceled. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, A, how was that experience? Cause this must've been a weird South by year. Yeah, so I got there um, for Tech Week. I was going to be the 13th to 22nd. I throw a showcase there called the Oive South by Southwest. It was been the eighth year. We bring in artists from Israel. We bring in artists like indie bands from all around, just the top, top agencies kick us axe. And then we um, 
you know, also get usually like Southern rap acts like Gangsta Boo's played before. Um, we've had Cool Keith. I think Cool Keith was headlining this year from Dr. Dr. No, um, he, you know, because what happened was I got there Friday. I played a show Friday. The entire airport was empty. I wrote an article, so I'm going to South Bay anyway. It was canceled. The venue that I work with, Empire, at that point was scheduled to just run underground, you know, underground operations like day parties, you know, that you could rent out, but, you know, to keep everyone working. So now everyone who was working is not working. Um, what changed from there was that by the end of the Friday show, the other band that was coming in decided to cancel. So they paid me double to perform twice because I was there. So I was like, wow, this is going to be the last show I ever play. Yeah. And, and it was. <laughs> so that was the last show. I think there was something the next day that, that worked out. And from that, by the time it came to Tuesday, which is when the Oybe South by Showcase was scheduled, the town was a ghost. It was a ghost yeah. town. I mean, I've never seen it. It was more empty than the last day. It was so empty. And I booked a flight. People were saying, like, come home. They're going to cancel the airlines. It's, you know. Yeah. I booked and then you got coronavirus, though. I got coronavirus, I think, on the plane back. I oh, was sick. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so for everybody that has listened to this that has not got coronavirus, br break it down. It, it's not something anybody wants to get, right? No, it's nothing, nothing, no one wants to get. Um, if you get it though, it's not the end of the world for 99% of you, but there's a chance that it could be. And, and the, the, the tricky thing with it is that you don't know who you give it to, how it morphs inside that person, you know? So right. I think I was on the plane 48 hours, I got sick and then I tested positive for it maybe five, six days later. But by that time I was already healthy and felt better. Um, Why, what, what may, would you have signs? You have like a fever or a cough? Yeah, you have the fever and the cough, and um, but everything is compounded by like reading about it while you have it. I don't know, which is a really weird thing to imagine reading about what's happening to you that's killing people, and you're reading about it, and you have the same thing. Yeah. Reading about it, right? And you're like, and you were, this is early days too. See, you got it like, this is March. This is right when things are going locked down. Like now, yeah. July, it's- I didn't lockdown. tell anybody because I thought this was very similar to like telling somebody that you have a real life threatening disease and they're like, oh my God, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna die. So, yeah. so I didn't tell anyone because also I didn't feel like it was right for me to just be open, hey, you know? And yeah. everyone's like, like, I didn't want that attention. At this point, people were still trending online like well this artist gets corona you know this person yeah. gets coronavirus this rapper gets coronavirus slim thug gets coronavirus. you know so in the early days it was I, I i actually had was releasing a song um with cascade and it was like now it's like 1.2 million it's like my biggest song and that came out and then poof you know see that's where it would have been good if there was touring because if cascade is out there playing that in the clubs that would have been amazing. Although I'm sure he will eventually, but it, 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 it sucks that that happened right at that time. Yeah, I mean, it, he was dropping it and they've dropped it in Nike collaboration with Dylan Francis and they had, they, he played it at EDC and um, I think he just did Lollapalooza. He played it at Coachella, like, like online. You know, he was doing, he's been, he was been, he's been so busy. So I mean, they spend the, some people spin that song nonstop, but yes, it would have been amazing. Cause I would have played a side stage at Coachella this year. He was in the Coachella doc. I mean, it's, you know, all those little things could have, would have, should have, you know, everybody's had that story, you know, but yeah. 
Um, one thing we like to do on this podcast, though, is take people back to where it all started yeah. and, you know, how you grew up. So where, you were born in where? In East Coast somewhere? In Jersey? Yeah, I was born in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Perth Amboy, New Jersey, to be exact. Where's, where's Perth Amboy? It's central New Jersey. Central, so like by New Brunswick, Perth, about, about like 40 minutes from Lower East Side. Yeah, a lot, a lot of Jews or not? None. Really? <laughs> None. Yeah. Like Edison has some Jews where I grew up, but not on the south side. Not on the south side. Like that's, the like, that's like me. I grew up mainly in Santa Monica, which is a whole different town nowadays. But yeah, they're, like almost none of my friends growing up were Jewish back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is good for perspective because you get a, a better background than some people that sort of grew up in a little bit of a bubble. Were, were your parents Zionistic or? My whole family is Israeli. So my, my father, my brothers, my mother, um, I was the first one born in America. My grandparents came over from like Poland, Romania. My grandfather, you know, whole family killed Holocaust, father's side, his father's side all killed. They came, met in Israel. My dad was in the 67 war. Grandfather was in 48. Dad was in Yom Kippur war. And then, you know, came here in 76. I was born in 81. So by the time they got here, we just kind of grew, like my family was friends with other Israeli, like a couple other Israelis locally, but we weren't part of this American Jewish community that, that it's funny that like I do events with now and stuff like that. So for perspective, like there was one other Jewish family in the block that had a menorah and everyone else was Spanish, white, black, Asian, all Muslim, all the kids that are hanging out, some Russian immigrants, Russian Jewish immigrants, um, but like not really openly Jewish, just like Russian, just Russian. Yeah. Um, and when I think about it, I really grew up in like, like a bubble. Like we grew up on Wu-Tang, like Staten Island was 20 minutes from us. So like, that's what, that's what we kind of uh, grew up on. What made your parents decide to move from Israel to America? I think it was definitely like more opportunity, et cetera. That's what I assume. And they came to New York and then they came to Jersey. Did you go back there? Did you guys go visit a bunch or no growing up? To Israel, yeah. So we have a house in Tivon, which is my grandfather, grandfather's house that he built. And um, it is, you know, it was just like summers in Israel, you know, you do this. And then other kids did camp and we did summers in Israel. And then we were basically, I would say, like a sports family. Like, I feel like in comparison to other Jewish American families, there were, we didn't really do anything with synagogues. I think, I, you know, I had a bar mitzvah in Israel. We were basically like, I played soccer and I wrestled. So once my brother started wrestling, we were just wrestling family. I did wrestling camps, wrestling this, wrestling that. And um, that was like all the way through high school. And then at some point through there, like my one friend whose father was Iranian, he, he was the hip hop influence on us. And my, he was like neighbors with my other friend who was, you know, sort of this, you know, like American Florida kind of Jew. Uh, Sean <laughs> and we would just we were called ruckus I mean this like when we were like young I mean I was trying to study for SATs and like you know sort of be like the good influence but I was really drawn to that like really negative lifestyle and you know starts like listening to Wu-Tang smoking weed and like eating McDonald's like somewhere in our teens this was a thing but this was when you got to understand this is when like Wu-Tang was coming out in this area so we're like CDs like these guys are selling hundreds of thousands millions of records so this is from 95 to 2000 
So the era of the like the time was like when I was in high school, DMX, what was like the most famous person in the world, you know? By the time that that I like hit into, you know, the stage, I my first time performing on stage was like ninety-nine and I, you know, my homie's name was Yak Balls. And these are like underground rap was way bigger than like sort of what now mainstream rap is. Like 90s, 90s New York had a whole scene, a whole underground scene. That's where you hoodies famous, you cut your teeth. That's where you, you know, learned the art form. So I played at a place called the New Rican Post Cafe and they had these battles and I was Kosher Dill. That was like my name. I picked this name. After that, people made fun of me. So mm, I'm going to change it to KD Flow. And I yeah. became like Kosher Dill's Flow, like basically that. And yeah. I was KD Flow for like four, mm, I would say like, yeah, four or five years. I was not recording music. Like we weren't recording, we were just performing. So yeah. I would write my rhymes. Yeah, and battle then, rapping and-, and Yeah, that's the, it. Exactly. Ooh, battle rap, like battle where rap. was your first like moment though? And even before that, was it Wu-Tang? Like when was like, you're like, for me, I remember vividly elementary school and I heard like the Beastie Boys run DMC, but I was actually, I remember I used to go to Hebrew school, like after school. And I remember in 88, it was someone had NWA and the posse. And I was like, oh man, like this is, this is it. And then from then on, I just was like the biggest hip hop fan. Was there any sort of time or moment or album or, or a show that you're like, all right, this is what I got to do. Um, well, I, bought a cd from nobody beats the whiz um if you guys remember that yeah um it was by from duck down's label called original gun clappers and i just really like loved it and uh that was like real real new york underground stuff and then when i like really just got into it i loved perform i love battling because battling was like me versus you and if you get embarrassed, and I just like the crowd, I liked performing in a fight situation. Because I came from wrestling, so it was a one-on-one -on -one competition. So I loved winning. So I like winning in, in, in general. And this was like, my idea was like, oh, I'm going to release a record. So when I was in college, I was like, my main goal in college is to release a record. Like release a 12-inch vinyl. And then if I release a 12-inch vinyl, I'll make it. So we were recording songs and like the goal was to um, get it to this record label called Def Jooks, which was, you know, run by LP who's in Run to Jewels. And like, obviously this was just like the dream, you know what I'm saying? But then, yeah. you know, nothing happens, right? Cause you don't go to a label and whatever. So then I just realized I could press up these records and sell it myself. So I pressed up, tried to press up a thousand vinyl. And for some reason, the vinyl plant pressed up 904. I don't know. They put it on machine and sometimes press less, sometimes press more. Yeah. I said, okay, I'll That's take what 900. Used to back in the day, though. I remember we used to like do things like that. They'd be like, oh, we may have more and more and less. So you got to pay for the overflow or, or make it less. Than yeah. Yeah. So, so in general, I thought to myself, like, okay, this is, uh, this is cool. Like, this is what I'm doing. And I'm just going battling and performing. And then I'm going to start selling my records. And I start selling my records. I had Yak featured on it, my friend that taught me how to rap. And like I said, like there was the, the first record was the, the label was called, if you even see my PayPal today, it's the same thing. It's called Matza for Your Mouth Records. So yeah. it was like M-A-T-Z-A-H-4-Y-O apostrophe M-O-U-F. It was definitely like the, the logo, you could Google it up. It's like a matzo ball 
eating them like with the yama. It's like super, the idea was like Jewish gangster, Bugsy Siegel. And that was sort of what was popular and like what was Jewish in New York. I mean, there was no, there was Beastie Boys and there was nonfiction, there was Necro and Ill Bill as far as rap and yeah. like aggressive. What made you decide to like embrace the, the Jewish moniker and the Jewish brand was, I mean, around that time, obviously, as you were mentioning, there's Wu-Tang who started talking about Gambinos and all these nicknames and, you know, ghost face killers and, and right. coming up with names. Was it something along those lines where you just wanted to create this? Um, or I did understand that. I was just like, Oh, I kind of wanted it. Like, like my boy was yak balls. Like it was just, <laughs> it was just crazy. Like it was just a crazy name. And, but people like it's crazy enough. That was like cool to, to, to be that. And then I was like, well, I'll be, Dill, like I'll be Dills, you know what I mean? And I'll kosher Dills. And it was like a pickle, it was like Jewish, it was a sexual reference, it was food reference, it was like hustler reference. Because I also, from like 99 to 2000 to like 2003, 2004, I was like selling drugs, like pretty much the entire time, like throughout college, up and down, always selling stuff. Um, I ended up going to jail twice during college and I had done time on like my first offense that kind of brought my rap stuff into another dimension of like where I started freestyling a little bit. I was real, I really kind of lost my mind like on in, in one of those eras, I would say. How long were you in prison for? I was sentenced. I was supposed to do five. Then I ended up getting convicted for nine months. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up doing like less time and it's getting paroled. Yeah. Um, the second one was really, like this was before my music, my first record came out. So this is when I switched over from Katie Flo to Kosha Dills. I had, um, I was like in a sting operation and I was like set up and I was like selling cemetery plots at the time, actually for a Jewish cemetery. It was like a Jewish cemetery and it was in Woodbridge, New Jersey. And um, I took like, I, I, I was like in some setup at school and then I was like, for sure, I was still on probation, you know, from the first one. So I had parole and probation. And then what I realized was that I was, I voluntarily, like at that time I was like so messed up, like at a spiritual bottom, I felt that, all right, I'm going to go and put myself into an inpatient and just stay there for the whole duration of the, all the court cases. Cause they told, they, I heard through the grapevine that was like, if you put yourself in jail, voluntarily, which is either an inpatient or halfway house, et cetera, yeah. that you'll be like, you'll cut your time. Right. Yeah. So, and I ended up not having to do anything. I was like, after seven or eight months, they just put me on probation because I'd already been yeah. in somewhere for, so, and then I was like, you know, and I've been sober since so I've been like 16 years. Um, but at that time when I was in one of these rehabs, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to come out with the record. And then I think by the time it was like 2005, I remember having this record in the summer of 2005, 15 years ago. And I was just like selling these matzo for your mouth. I mean, you know, it's really crazy. It was like a four song EP, white label. And I pressed it up myself. And that's, that was like my goal, you know? And then I went back and finished college. And that's when I started navigating through the underground rap scene of like what it was and all my early connections and grew, you know, to, to where it is today. Did you come out here at all during the, that time, the early days of your hip hop scene? Like, were you here for like the freestyle fellowship stuff or were you all yeah. Lyricist Lounge, New York, that was your scene? 
Nah, like I was New York mostly, but in 2006, I started doing shows out of, out of town. So over like a year and a half, I met C-Ray's Walls and I started trolling like MySpace stuff and people commenting on MySpace and really spending hours and hours a day on it and finding people that were willing to do shows. And this is sort of like when I realized like the, the issues of like the Jewish stuff happened with C-Rays is that I was like, yo, C-Rays, we'll, we'll do this Jewish black thing and this will be like really great. Like we'll get a lot of attention on it. So we released a project in 2008, but we had started doing shows in 2006, 2007. At this point, I'm just pressing up CDs like on my dad's compact presario. Like I'm like, you know, still on probation, <laughs> like just living at home, you know? Um, and uh, I think I also lived in three quarter houses. There, there are sort of like groups of like ex-convicts and parolees and probationers that all like live together and just have to stay sober and they get drug tested, et cetera. So when 2008 came, we released this record and that sort of became like the big stamp of Kosher Dills. I think we did, it was called Freestyle Versus Written and we, we got it done um, and it was really, it's still, people still talk to me about this day. It was one of C-Ray's best, but we just got so much press on it because we made songs that were really pissing people off. And it's just sort of, sort of like teetering at like anti-Semitism things. Like we named a song called Ariel Sharon, you know, then we named a song called I Love Jews. It was over the Delphonics I Love You sample. Nice. So it was like, people were like, you know, Spin Magazine covered it and we were, we had a really good publicist and you know, sort of came into the world right off the bat. And it was just like Israel, Palestine, Jews, blacks. It was just like everything we're talking about now, 12 years ago. Right, right, right. You know? What, what was his perception of the Jewish community or Israel back then? Or does he, did he not know really much about it at all? Modest Yahoo was a big fan of C-Rays. C-Rays was working a lot with Jewish people in general. So it was C-Rays and Modest Yahoo picked him as his favorite rapper at the time. And this is um, when Modest was blowing up, right? This is like right yeah. when he had that He was doing eight nights at the Music Hall of Williamsburg. I mean, it would have C-Rays as a guest. Um, we went to the MTV Plug Awards and we were like freestyling backstage with him. But C-Rays was sort of getting me in there. He's like, this is my Jewish kid. And, you know, I'm with you, you know what I mean? And I'm your black friend, you know what I'm saying? So it was yeah. kind of like these like worlds coming together. But C-Rage was like on MTV's made, millions of people were, you know, watch, he was teaching kids how to rap and like, people thought I was like the kid from MTV's made. Like, the, I don't know if this is like this TV show where he yeah. taught this young, young Jewish kid how to rap. So he always had this, and he even went to Poland to play at the Jewish festival with So Called, who's a really talented, Klezmer, producer, rapper, uh, extraordinaire from Montreal. So he was like in some sort of orchestra where he was like hanging out with the rabbi of Krakow, Poland and, you know, drinking with him in like the middle of, you know, Eastern Europe, you know? So he's kind of, he, he really loved Jewish people and he's like, it's very embracing to that. And, you know, and also he also come from like five percenters and, you know, uptown bronx and he was like a right. kid too. i mean you had matis yahoo like the orthodox like seven foot jew you had kosher dills and you had c-ray walls 
I mean, that's the crew right there. People, people had not seen that in hip hop. No, nah, we, we had this song called Childhood. I mean, it's like we, we had a song, and that was like my first big song with them. It was with, with C-Rays and, and Modest Yahoo, and that sort of got me, like people started quoting my lyrics from the song. And when I, that was like sort of like, whoa, you know, people know my lyrics. I was like, that's wild. So, yeah, I mean, and there's not even, right, even still, there's not too many rappers either that are Jewish or that you really know are Jewish. I mean, Mac Miller was Jewish, and I don't think many people even realize. What other Jewish rappers are out there that are sort of in the scene? Yeah, I mean, definitely as far as releasing music and like and crossing into pop culture, I wouldn't say. I mean, if you look into rap, I, mean, I met Mac Miller in 2009. It was like 400, 500 kids at a show. And they gave him an Oyve shirt. Like I was sort of on this Oyve kosher. Like I've just been on it because hip hop taught me how to like represent. So that's what I was just doing. You know, like yeah. if I was, I always say this. If I was a Mexican rapper, I would have a Mexican flag. I mean, that's just me because it was yeah. just something I'm into. And a lot of them do. A lot of them do. So not everyone does. If I was, you know. Um, from the South, I'd be all about the South. And my fa whole family is Israeli. This is just something I embrace. And a lot of other people do that. A lot of people from the Middle East do that too. Egyptian, you know, bo like a boxer. A boxer's family's from Egypt, coming out with the Egyptian flag. Someone's from Iran, Iraq, they're doing the same thing. Um, so that's just like something I did. And then I also realized, what I realized is that people really had such an issue with this. And to me, the more people I had an issue with it, I sort of thrive on like confrontation and I like, personally, I like if it doesn't like if what I'm doing for myself makes you angry, that's, that's really odd to me. So I, I mean, guess it goes like, into the wrestling battle rapping sort of thing, right? It's like, yeah, it's sort of like you're, you're okay with, it gives you, yeah. like it energizes you a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Because once you realize that like no label, like no label, no one's like coming to me, everyone's like, well, the labels is a, once you realize as an artist that really no one's running to you to like sign you or any of this for, for, for whatever you're doing, then, then you just do whatever you really do whatever you want. And yeah. the, and the thing is, even if you are the best of the best of best, you still labels won't technically give you what you want. So for me, I've always just been kind of solo. I've been operating. solo. I figured out how to make money by myself in music and by embracing who I am, I started, people started reaching out to me and I started getting my own stuff, you know, yeah. but it was, it was, it, it's, it's definitely been an interesting rise. I would say after Mac Miller, there was Action Bronson, Lil Dicky, right. Modest Yahoo. I mean, but you know, some of them you don't even realize. I mean, Alchemist, people don't really realize. I actually went to, once again, Hebrew school with him and his older brother back then. Um, yeah, I mean, Alchemist is Israeli, you know? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's he definitely is not on it. The reason why people know me because my name is Kosha. That's it. Yeah. So first off, the first thing they think is like, oh, it's Jewish. Yeah. But my name is Rami. I mean, right here, Rami Matan Evanesh. That's why I tell people. You can I mean, the only, other, the only other yeah. Jewish, I think, act that's been out there like that, is, I would say, is probably Blood of Abraham. And they Mas really Yeah, Shannon Mazik is a legend. I mean, he's like the original. He's right. like the OG, like he's really out there with the BC because he did it and he definitely really capitalized on like what, what's that? I don't want to even say capitalized, but like he embraced who he was, Blood of Abraham, Miles, like shooting music videos in Jerusalem and like Easy e signed him, you know? Yeah. And he's, I really like, like his career. Um, 
when that came out, when that you heard Stabbed by the Steeple, were you like, okay? I mean, was there something like, yeah, this is like someone that sort of represents my demographic? Is it, nah, it was before my time. It was before my time, really. I really wasn't on it because I was so engulfed into like East Coast underground rap and really what I knew without the internet, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't discover a lot of this stuff until the 2000s. Of like, I don't even know when I discovered Blood of Abraham, but people are like, oh, you're Kosha Dills? Have you heard of Blood of Abraham? I think it was actually when I came out to the West Coast. Um, that's when I was like, whoa, this is like a thing, you know, like I didn't really know. And then I, you know, I met him and he worked with, worked with him a little bit and, and, uh, and will, I am actually like, we did something at Sundance when they came out with masters of the sun because will, I am has a whole, the whole thing going on over in California besides, besides just being will, I am and black. Eyed totally. Well, he produced, I mean, I remember he was like the Adaban clan, which is the precursor to, to the black eyed peas. And exactly. I think will produced some or worked with the blood of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to my, if I'm not mistaken, they have some music together and they're like extremely close and they work really, really close together. So um, I guess, I guess that takes us though a little bit into like the anti-Semitism world because you've obviously taken upon yourself to talk about anti-Semitism as sort of that voice in hip hop. Yeah. Um, like, and you just did it. You did the hip hop DX interview about Nick Cannon and why anti-Semitism isn't called out in the same way as racism. And you did a piece in Variety uh, about Wiley, uh, really about the same sort of thing. Do you want to maybe little talk a little bit about why you decided to speak out against that and what sort of feedback you've gotten? It's interesting because it, it, I didn't offer my voice. I wasn't like, hey, guys, I'm going to just, you know, in case you want to do anything, everyone contacted me. So I sent a text to Hip Hop DX. They asked for a quote. And then it became an entire piece. And next thing you know, on the internet, it just, you know, kind of blew up. But the thing is, it's like people talk to me when there's two things that are really important, you know? They either talk to me when they're one, going through like a life change and addiction, alcoholism, or someone dies because I've been clean longer than Eminem. Like as far as sobriety and rap, there's no one that's out there like me, I think really doing it. And then two, anything to do with Israel, or anything to do with Jews, because my name's Kosha Dills. So if you comment on Nick Cannon, the interesting thing about it is that none of these people were writing for Nick Cannon ever before. Because Nick Cannon is sort of like, unfortunately, he's sort of looked upon as like, you know, just this guy that's not like a real rapper, you know what I mean? Or Nick, this is Nick Cannon, it was Mariah Carey. Yeah, it's like a TV personality now. Yeah, at this point, you know. Um, let's just say he's a bad guy or a good guy. But what he did was he was showing everything. And then, and then he got into his battle rap mode. He was not nah, double down on everything I said, like. It's like, you could do that, but you're about to like, just, you know, and then, and, but the thing is no one on my, my side, and now I mean my side or our side, who are Jewish people that also fight for Black Lives Matter, said anything because what people have now perceived as a compromise, you know, is, is, is getting proven wrong. And like, and like, and there's like, a, there's a whole new sub movements and, and civil rights movements and what the main point is that, like, if you say something against Nick Cannon that doesn't compromise black excellence in any form or what, anything, saying, yo, what you're saying is wrong, my guy, like, that's it. 
That's all you got to do. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing. What you said is wrong. I don't even care. You don't have to know nothing about religion. I don't really care what's in any book. I really don't. And I mean this, and I mean this not to offend any Jewish people or Christian people, but you don't have to be religious to be like, bro, you're tripping. Like, you know, some of the stuff that you're saying, just it, it you don't have to be a, a scholar to well, understand it. Exactly. Because it's, even if you don't believe in someone else's religion, if you talk bad about it, you're basically hating on it, breaking down Christianity and why, you know, Jesus was this and wasn't real. Or, I mean, basically, you're, all you're doing is putting negativity out there and hating. As, as people that want to be like civil to each other, saying negative things about another religion, regardless if people believe it or not. I mean, if he has those beliefs, it's just not something you should be doing, right? Yeah. And it's just to give anyone context that's listening, Nick was on a pot, like a podcast just like this, but it was with Professor Griff and Chuck D. And if you question Chuck D, he's the godfather of public enemy. And he kicked out Professor Griff for being anti-Semitic right. <laughs> years ago. And then the things that he was on, he was speaking for an hour and it just goes over and over and over. And so I say one quote in Hip Hop DX and they turn it into an article. And then they take a picture of me with an Israeli flag and they say Jewish rapper reacts to Nick Cannon. They don't say kosher, you know what I mean? And they do all the things to make this divide go. And it shows me how like media, like you have to say something, but media is gonna go blow it up out of proportion, you know? So right. that was my experience with that. Now the thing with Wiley was a little bit more sought out and thought and said, you know, I should say something on this. And I didn't really know about Wiley because Wiley is, you know, grime. And I'm just like really not familiar with grime on like that. So I did like a deep dive into it and just deep dive into his history. And then just also sourced a lot of the people that I know in the UK. Like I hit up my guy, Dan Greenpeace. I know Charlie Sloth. I know Tim West. Well, like, I'm just like thinking of like, what do I know about UK rap? And I don't know that. So I just took a long time to like go into it and just learn about Dizzy and Skepta and Stormzy and, and everybody and just sort of see what Wiley is. And usually when I see a lot of like anti-Semitism and a complete meltdown online, a complete meltdown online is fine, right? But all of a sudden you get the pass when it becomes like an anti-Semitic thing. If you speak up for Jewish people during the same time as like the biggest civil rights movement for blacks since like the 60s, you're not compromising black excellence ever. You're just saying, yo, that's not cool. And is that why you think be, And it's like mind blowing. It's like crazy. And so other people figure I started to cut you off, but like the, the football player, Zach Banner, Dude, all he did is like, yo, that's wrong. And you see like the entire, like he was, he's become like a Jewish celebrity because he just said that's wrong, which is mind blowing to me that that's like the level that we're at. All you have to do is say, hey, that's wrong. Um, but that's where we're at with it. So like I, I went and I, you know, commented on that and that's been getting passed around. But I, I, the question is though, is why do you think, for someone that comes from the hip hop scene, like why do you think that more people from that community didn't speak out? Is it just because we're involved in the social justice movement right now, which is, I mean, it's massively important and we need systemic change, but is it that they don't want to detract from that? Or what is the reason that you have Kareem, you have Jamelly Hill, you have like very few people like Zach Banner speaking out and not more people saying, yo, that's just not helpful to the cause right now. And because Farrakhan, Farrakhan, like just in general, has done a lot for the black community. Like, but I'd say this to everybody, like 
I'm sure a lot of bad people know that four plus four equals eight and could help, you know, give money to the poor and get some people some jobs. And like, this is, this, this translates into, once again, if I say something about this, what will my friends think about me? But this has worked so much is that even like liberal Jewish people or conservative, you know, let's say less conservative, but more like people in the music industry, because my name is Kosha Dills, they won't even touch that because they're afraid that if they do anything for me, that other people are going to judge them, that they're favoring Jewish, Jewish people, right? Because it's like an internalized sickness. So then if you take somebody else who's, let's say, black or Spanish, and they say something, yeah, let's mess up what's happened to the Jews, and someone's going to point a finger at them, it's easier just to not get involved and say, oh, I wasn't on the computer that day, and, you know, whatever. Um, but, like, I know who's not saying something and who's saying something, but it specifically goes for people who are saying something about everything specifically in civil rights. Like, I'm not, I've been to probably, like, 10 to 12 Black Lives Matter marches. Yeah. Right. So like, I feel like I could say something, you know what I mean? I, I want to go to all these marches, but if you're going to all these marches and, and saying this and saying this for that, say one thing, you know, and I think that's what has upset many Jewish people. Um, for me, I don't expect anything. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I, I would love for people to be, you know, more outspoken, but I don't really expect. Yeah. And I think even more, like troubling was some, you know, Nick Cannon apologizes and, you know, starts talking about some of the things he's learning and it's all the messages of why are you apologizing? You were right. You know, Jews run the world, you know, you had no reason to apologize. You know, they made you apologize for me. That was a little eye opening because some people saying things out of ignorance, although Deshaun Jackson, you know, posting a Hitler passage usually should usually be a no go to anyone, but still, you know, right. people grew up in different ways. Farrakhan has been very influential in those neighborhoods. So I get, you know, why they may not speak out against him. But, um, you know, nonetheless, it's... Um, Let's unleash the comment section, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it just, it's, it's, it was troubling to see people that there were so many people, unfortunately, supporting those statements, which was really troubling to me. And even you, right? When you had that Hip Hop DX piece on YouTube, there was so many people in the comments that were just throwing hate at you, right? There's about 1400 comments. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, you know, and I like, and like, that's what people saying. don't understand. I deal with that, like on a consistent basis. So that prevents artists like myself from getting on tour because then they say, you're so political. I'm not political. I said I was wrong. Like, I'm like anti-politics. I don't yeah. care really about politics, to be honest. You know what I mean? It's not it doesn't really like my whole life is self-made. I'm not really dealing with, I'm not like the political speaker. All I do is say that's wrong because it becomes something that people don't want to touch. And specifically the people that say they don't want to touch it ironically for other artists are like, which really saddens me are Jewish. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of times it's usually when for in my career, it's been when black people give credibility to me as a dope Jew, like when RZA quoted, Kosha Dill's one of the rawest Jewish cats I know. A lot of Jewish people showed up and started saying, whoa, what's up? Yeah. But until you get validation from, you know, because it's black culture, I, I participate in black art, you know what I mean? But it still doesn't mean that I don't have the right to like say, yo, this is, my man's tripping. Right. You know? 
I mean, and also hip hop's always had a long history of almost philo anti-Semitism or philo-Semitism, where getting the Jewish money um, and getting those Rothschilds has always sort of been a part of. There's, I mean, countless artists have put stuff like that from Jay Z to Twenty One Savage to Griselda to. I mean, it goes back for forever. What do you think of of philo-Semitism? I know some people get riled up about that. That that should be called out too, or. Uh, I don't touch specific things because if you believe it's a good thing, right? And this is, this is something, and I had a discussion with this. I, I did an event called Soul Vey, and it was, it was civil rights, music, comedy. And I hired, I got a grant from like Schusterman. I hired like nine black artists, Akil, Gangsta Boo, Kyle Raps, a lot of cool people. Um, my buddy posed a question, and, and I guess we're speaking about allyship, right? Yeah. If someone starts speaking about getting Jewish money, get a great Jewish lawyer, it's because they're perceived as good, good things, right? right? Things the people that are perceived as bad are Lior Cohen, Jerry Heller. Whether Lior Cohen's a bad person, good, but Jerry, if, I don't know the, the ins and outs of the deal, but people perceive that if there's Jewish people, these guys are Jewish, Epstein, you know, yeah, these are bad Jewish people that if they screwed over and thought, I'm going to take advantage of this black man and take all his earnings and all his matches right. and I'm going to be rich, the entire world is going to think that. The thing is, Jewish people, we have like the experience of people supporting me just because I'm Israeli or just because I'm Jewish. You know what I'm saying? Just, just because we have kosher restaurants. So the food's yeah. kosher. So everyone's there is Jewish, right? Black community doesn't have that. So they don't, from what we're perceiving as, you know, like one of the big questions was like, how could we bridge that question and support each other, you know? How can we show the same amount of love? So that's, it's a, it's a really interesting thing because getting a Jewish lawyer is good. Getting Jewish money is good. Yeah. Just like Buster Rhymes says, I'm getting Arab money. Yeah. Getting Arab money is good because that's perceived as oil money. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, you know. Is it technically wrong? Yeah, yes. exactly. It's wrong to somebody that works at APAC or conservative and they're like, we got to breathe. But I'm not going to. That's not something I'm going to pick at. I might have a discussion with somebody and be like, yeah, you know, if they, if I know them like that, but they're not going to come at me and probably think, yo, I know you have all the money. I'm not, you know, I don't have it all. And, and exactly. And it's a generalization, obviously, because not every, I think the anti-Semitic part that people get riled up is like, not everybody is wealthy. Not all Jews are wealthy, this and that, but you know, the Jews have done pretty well wherever they've gone. And so you know, once again, it's almost like an aspiration where they see their managers or, or lawyers or people that have been successful. And they, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting to see that through their lens while they see what Jews have done is something to aspire to, um, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon in hip hop. But actually going along the route, let's talk about Israel a bit. So you made Aliyah this year, you stayed there for about two weeks, made a music video, and then you left. <laughs> nah, I went, I went in June, I went in June, and then I got there, and then I got a place. And then I came back to do Warp Tour, and went back, and did a festival, and then came back. I guess back. the coronavirus and, hit, and then now you're, you're stuck in America. Well, I was there September to, Feb, like, Feb, September to March. Yeah. And, you know, I came back for two weeks for a tour, you know, stuff like that. You know, I came back to open for Wiz Khalifa. Boom. I'm going to cut, you know. Yeah. Um, and what I learned is <laughs> it's really difficult to make money in Israel. 
and made Aliyah, but it's different for me because I was already a citizen, sort yeah. of, because of my parents and my brothers, like just and my whole family was born there. I was like, yo, I'll go and get it. Like, I'll, I'll go do this stuff in Israel. Like, why not? And I started writing music in Hebrew and, you know, I have songs in Hebrew now. It's really cool. And Are you going to go back there sometime soon? or? Uh, I'm like pondering whether I'm going to go back like right away um, or not or be in New York. And, you know, I really wanted to go and just kind of go. I mean, your song, that one song you released when you were out there was a schmoozin', which is the ultra yeah, yeah. rock scene. Uh, yeah. Sorry, ultra Orthodox theme. What's what's the concept behind that, and why did you decide to do something about the ultra Orthodox? Um, well, Schmoozin was it was a brainchild of it was true actually. I got hooked up with Yahoo to this guy, Cool Kojak. He's a big hit maker. Um, he did like Nicki Minaj, Doja Cat, a lot of, a lot of basically everybody, Kanye. Um, he was like always obsessed with the Nachman guys, the guys that are on the Nachman bus, and they they go around and they dance in the middle of the streets and they're yeah. like, Rabbi Nachman. And uh, Rabbi Nachman is like this rabbi of happiness and they're like, happiness will cure everything and joy. And he's like, we need to have that song as the song, you know, at like your song, our song needs to be the hit song, right? Yeah. So we, we I, I had some people send some klezmer samples. We, we snagged some records, some violins and um, made this joint. We're like, let's make a song in Yiddish. I just like whipped out the Yiddish book. I'm like, I'm like, start making this stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, man, I got to make a banging video because he gave me a free beat. So like, if you're gonna give me a free beat and you charge gazillions of dollars for beats, cause I know I'm, I got to make a banging video. And um, I hired this Russian like video maker out there. Uh, and like, dude, I, it was just such a crazy thing to produce. I produced the whole video, helped direct it. Where did you shoot and, it? What area? Like in, in, in Jaffa. So in Jaffa is like, you know, half, half Arab, half, half Jewish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we shattered some of my apartment. Like the woman was from like my co-working space, my Jewish mother. Like the other ones were from my Ulpan, like some R Russian Jewish immigrants. Did you was... get the guys from, it doesn't know, as, as Kosher was explaining, they literally have a van that pumps music and the red light comes and they get out and they're dancing like crazy and starting a dance party in the middle of the road. And yeah. they sort of just drive around doing that. So, so did, yeah, that's like their entire job. did you get them in the video or not? Uh, yeah, they're in, they're in at the end. We didn't get the truck, but like we got it, like we rented out and did a party and like, and the video, I don't know, it's probably one of my best, my, my favorite songs I've ever made. Um, and, what, and what's the scene like out there in general? What's the, like the hip hop scene when you, when you went out there? How'd you find it? It's extremely active. Um, I'd say there's a lot happening. There's people selling out shows. It was really active. I played the Barbie like twice. Um, Lucille Crew is a big band out there. Pellet is out there. There's, um, it's just, and there's also like the underground scene. It was like super like, you know, beat maker. There's like a, there's this like this, this girl Googies I know, she does like a loop digger, like all like beat making freestyle jam session. There's like tons. Of, I would say there's a lot of audio files out there. Yeah. Like real techie sound has love beat making. Um, Cohen Beats is a really dope producer. Ori Shahad, so it's like kind of like the head hip hop dude out there. Do you hear hip hop on the radio out there is in Hebrew? Yeah, um, you'll hear stuff on Galgalats and stuff, which is like the station is right down, right down the street from Jaffa. Um, 
it's, it's hip hop has definitely entered society since subliminal and stuff in those times. Nice. All right. So we like to end this podcast with I name five things and you just let me know off the top of your head. Okay. What's your mind. All right. So off the top of your head, top five lyricists of all time in hip hop. Nas, RZA, Ghostface, Buckshot. Okay. Of all time. Your favorite guy, dead or alive? Uh, yeah, Biggie Smalls. Okay. All right, all East Coast guys. I like that you put the RZA in there because he's a little bit different in his flow. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, shawarma or falafel? What you, what you eating? Shawarma. Nice. Uh, 90s hip hop that you grew up with or the hip hop of today? What's your favorite? I like the hip hop of today. Nice. <laughs> uh what's your what's your dream collaboration if you could work with any artist kid cuddy oh nice he just did a song with eminem that was pretty cool yeah uh-huh you know we'll do a couple more what, most influential album when you were growing up to you um or even now what's your most influential i love album? Move, i love movement from track called quest yeah love it um, all right, last question. What do you think of the, the BDS movement, the cultural boycott? Um, oh, I, I hate it. I think uh, it's layered with anti-Semitism and uh, it's very similar to the boycott Jewish goods of, of Nazi Germany. Um, if you have a problem with Israel, um, go visit there and tell everybody and go, if you really have a problem with Israeli artists and Israeli culture, spend all your time you do on the internet protesting Israel and support Palestinian artists. Not one person that actually does that takes Palestinian artists on tour. I would love to see big artists take Palestinian musicians on tour all over the world. It seems to do that. And I would love for them to bash, you could do it and, and bash wherever, but no one even gives them the opportunity. So they really think that they're helping Palestinian people, but they don't seem to give anybody opportunity because I truly believe that if you have a problem with something, um, not to divest from something, but to invest in community and no one seems to invest in community. So, you know, that's what I think about it. And, yeah, uh, no, I agree. Honest. When people come there, hip hop shows, some of the most diverse shows in Israel that I found. So... If everyone loves to, you know, chat about that, you could always hit me up and, a and ask me more information. But yeah. I've yet to see anybody who's bashed and supported BDS invest in an in actual Palestinian culture. Yeah, or in culture. I'd love to be proved wrong. I really would, because I believe, you know, I believe in so much in collaboration. Yep, love it. Anyhow, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Cool, man. Kosher deals, we out.